This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. UFOs seem to be invading both our skies and our news outlets like never before. And more people are starting to look up and are wondering who or what might be out there. In 2016, Ryan Sprague introduced the world to countless UFO encounters that had never been made public before. And now, in the second edition of his book, he revisits these events and introduces brand new UFO cases in Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon. How have these events changed the lives of those involved? And what might it tell us about the phenomenon? With in-depth follow-ups, brand new chapters, and detailed testimony from credible witnesses and insight from those in the psychological, academic, and scientific fields, Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon, weaves together a story of stories, attempting to get to the heart of these mysteries one experience at a time. Available now on Amazon in both paperback and ebook. To learn more, visit somewhereintheskies.com. Welcome to part two of our series, UFOs in 2020, with our special guest, former law enforcement professional and investigative writer, Tim McMillan. Tim writes freelance currently for such venues as Vice, Popular Mechanics, and The War Zone. And today, we'll be covering the hotly debated Wilson Davis memo, and just exactly what it is, if it's real, and its place in this entire off-world vehicles revelation brought forth recently in the New York Times. While initially very skeptical, with good reason, Tim tells us what might have possibly changed his mind in relation to the entire Wilson Davis affair. I have this nagging concern that lingers with me with this Wilson documents. Eric Davis isn't lying. Eric Davis is, I, I don't believe he is. I have no problem saying that on the record. There's nothing that tells me that Eric Davis is, is a liar and that he's making this up, uh, that he did meet with somebody. Admittedly, he'd never met Thomas Wilson before that day of these notes. I have this concern that still lingers that makes me wonder, could he have been set up? Then Tim and I discuss Bob Lazar. After over 30 years of being discredited and scrutinized for his extraordinary claims of having worked on UFOs near Area 51, has Bob Lazar finally been vindicated with all the recent news of UFO wreckage and materials in off-world vehicles? And what if he did actually possess the mysterious Element 115, as he claims? Supposedly he has it, and my thing is that that right there is what vindicates Bob Lazar's story. You know, short of them admitting, yeah, yeah, we got 9X saucers, S4, if he's right. That could easily vindicate his story. You know, if, if he had that presented, I'm certain we could find somebody. You know, not only would could Bob Lazar, if he wanted to, and that was true... 
vindicate himself, but, but Ryan, he could actually like screw the government. We don't have to worry about them. He could prove that extraterrestrials, that all of this is true, single-handedly. And um, he chooses not to. Tim then gives us the inside scoop on his work on the History Channel television series, Unidentified. And we end with Tim answering your listener questions. I want to believe that there's something else that is traversing the cosmos and visiting us, because if something else can do it, then so can we. And I think that'd be pretty freaking cool. I'd like to do that. It's an explosive part two of UFOs in 2020. And trust me, just when we thought this year couldn't get any stranger, we've only just begun. Here's part two with Tim McMillan. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. You did mention uh, disinformation. Now, this is something mm-hmm. I want to tackle with you here. Um, besides all of the recent New York Times discussion, you said powerful people. Admiral Wilson. This is something, Tim, I'm not, I will admittedly say I'm not too familiar with. The Wilson Davis memo. It's all the rage on UFO Twitter. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. man. So I'm curious to to hear if you're willing to maybe maybe walk us through what this memo is and uh, maybe mm-hmm. give your thoughts on the whole debate behind it because I'm just diving in, man, and I don't know what to make of any of it. And I'm a bad Run. UFO researcher for that. <laughs> Run while you still can, Ryan. Don't get in. <laughs> maybe uh, it is uh, better I didn't. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so, I, no, much like yourself, I didn't pay much attention to these a year ago when they leaked out, and I have since found myself in... in Dealing with them because they've become a big deal again. But the, so the the fifty thousand foot overview of these are these are notes that are supposedly authored uh, by Dr. Eric Davis, who was a member of uh, Bob Bigelow's NIDS team, uh, National Institute of Discovery Science, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, and then later was also a contractor for his uh, Bigelow Advanced Space Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies. Jeez, why do they? Simple words, man. FBI is easy. So anyway, <laughs> who were awarded the the OSAP, another long acronym, uh, yeah, yeah. the OSAP contract. So the, the, the UFO program. And so, you know, this was a meeting that uh, these are notes that supposedly transcribed from a meeting that he, uh, you know, held with a retired Admiral Thomas Wilson, who at one point in time in the late 90s was the. He was the assistant director and then the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, so kind of the uh, the DOD's CIA, so the military's CIA. He held the, what's called the J-2 position, which is the um, the intelligence advisor to the Joint Chiefs. I'm chuckling because it's an acronym minefield. Um, <laughs> and uh, he held these positions, so it was a pretty high-level position. And this meeting was supposedly occurred in 2001 or two. I don't have it in front of me, but around that time frame, right after he retired uh, from the military. And, uh, you know, it was con- it, it's got all the makings of a great movie or scene of the X-Files. Um, you know, it, it, it occurred in the, the parking lot of the EG&G special projects who EG&G is the contractor who handles uh, 
the flights to Area 51 and a lot of the oversight for Area 51. So uh, in the parking lot and uh, supposedly, you know, this Admiral Wilson relayed to Eric Davis that, you know, during his tenure in the government that he had sought out and uh, to see if there were any UFO programs in contractors who were working on crashed UFOs that he had come across at least one contractor, uh, aerospace company, who indeed was doing something weird. And he called him up, wanted access, and that they admitted to him that they were working on reverse engineering, these crashed extraterrestrial vehicles, uh, but that he did not have access and clearance to this. And so therefore he was turned away, and much to his chagrin. And so it's kind of the broad overview of these yeah. notes. Yeah, man. I mean- <laughs> It's a lot to take in, and that's I think that's kind of what kind of, didn't take me out of it. Of course, I was interested and fascinated by it, but then you get to the whole idea of is any of this even true? Is it third hand testimony? You know, Eric Davis says this was something told to him that he then jotted down, and that's where you start. For me, I'm like, uh, okay, well, it's just hearsay then. So yeah, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, what do you no, where? No. Where do you stand on it all? I mean, what are we talking here? This this is kind of what we're learning where this off-world vehicle sentence came from in the New York Times. So, yeah, bring it all back sure. to us, Tim. Yeah, circle us around. Yeah, okay. No, no. I, well, I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, in a nutshell, why the a year ago when these leaked out. And, and they leaked out from Edgar Mitchell, the former astronaut who passed away in 2016. They leaked out of his archive collection. And he was, he was a board member of NIDS, and supposedly these were given to the board members and everything. The reason that I didn't put a lot of stock into them and and ultimately still don't for this very reason is just understanding a, a fundamental principle of secrecy in general. And so the, the these notes hinge on the most important thing being that Admiral Wilson supposedly found this program through budget line items. It was suspicious, called him up, accused him of having alien technology. He admittedly, according to the notes, didn't have access to the program. It wouldn't be granted access to the program. And therefore, the contractor uh, you know, it was like, yeah, we're working on crash UFOs, but you can't come see. Well, <laughs> that that's not how secrecy works. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, <laughs> you know, Ryan, you don't show up to somewhere, you know, you could show up to Lockheed and, and they're working on the B-21 Raider. So the replacement of the B-2 bomber, or maybe they've got this SR-73, you know, something even we don't know it really exists. And you're like, I know you're working on aliens and UFOs. You don't have access to that, right? <laughs> they're not going to go. Yeah. Oh, well, there goes my Friday, Tim. Oh. Thanks for uh, bursting that bubble. <laughs> there, yeah, you don't have access, right? They're not going <laughs> to actually tell you what they're really working on. And so if you showed up and said, I know you're working on aliens, they're going to go, yep, sure are, bud. <laughs> don't tell anybody. Now go on, get. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, they all roads, no matter what, whether the event is true or, you know, what Thomas Wilson said was true, all this, it doesn't matter. They all dead end into this a was the contractor telling the truth and and comparatively to how secrecy actually works when you're not have access there's overwhelming evidence that says no they weren't they wouldn't be telling the truth now to fast forward to when they i will say that they have become something of renewed interest for me now uh it has to do not for the, the reason a lot of people would think. And it, it's not that I believe that they are the linchpin to uncovering the crash UFO cover up. It's 
far more interesting in that um, I've, I've talked to enough people going back all the way back to the NIDS days who were who would have there in 2001 or two when this meeting occurred. And so, you know, after the meeting occurred, Eric Davis would have spoke with. I mean, I've talked to plenty of, of individuals there that, that I I have, find no evidence that Eric Davis is lying or that these memos that he didn't meet with somebody and that this was relayed and that this information as he transcribed them isn't what he was told. It doesn't mean for certain it is, but I, I would just say that the, interestingly enough, there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that says, yeah, this meeting occurred within the last, I guess, month or two with, with Billy Cox, uh, excellent UFO journalist. You know, he was able to speak to Admiral Wilson, Thomas Wilson, who gave a very, <laughs> Uh, very interesting rebuttal to all this. You know, said it was sounded like fiction. Never met with a guy. Doesn't know who the hell Eric Davis is. What the hell are they talking about? You know, like this is crazy. Far beyond what you kind of expect. I know the UFO community has said, well, of course he's just saying that to keep the cover up alive. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, why wouldn't he just say, no, nah, no comment on that. I'm, he said, why even answer? But um, for me, I think that. Um, People have overlooked, dismissed, and pushed to the side another set of documents that were leaked out simultaneously with these Wilson memos. And uh, if you're not familiar, that was a series of email exchanges between Dr. Christopher Kit Green, Dr. Hal Putoff, and Dr. Davis. Same time frame. This email exchange was related to the Santilli uh, alien autopsy video. I'm sure you're familiar, right, Ryan? Uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, have, uh, I, I wish the audience could see my eyes rolling right now. They might be able <laughs> to even hear it at this point. But no, man, please tell me about this because this is a, a subtopic within that whole thing where I'm like, are we seriously talking about the alien autopsy in 2020? Yes. Can you tell me why? Because this leaked documents, these leaked emails came out and the emails were from Kit Green, uh, you know, Put off and Davis were asking him because he had evidently relayed to them that he had been shown this alien top autopsy video and told it was real. And Kit saying, "Yeah, no, that's the that's the video I saw. That's the video I saw. It's that it was real." Um, I've spoken to Kit on several occasions, and Kit's always been very candid and said that yes, he was shown the, the Santilli video that we all know to be a hoax. Okay, we, we we know who filmed it. We know all this stuff. He said, "Yeah, no, I was shown that." I was told it was real. He didn't, he didn't tell me who showed him that. He didn't tell me who told him it was real. But it was somebody that had enough authority and, and enough credentials behind him that he believed them. Uh, we can assume, well, maybe that means that Kit Green's just a credulous person. But I think if you really look at Kit Green's background, it's pretty impressive. You know, he, he, was an, he held some impressive positions for both General Motors and, more importantly, the, the CIA. And so I, I don't just assume that He's credulous. And in fact, if you, you talk to Kit nowadays, he, he's pretty interesting because he, he, I would say that he is a, a much bigger skeptic of the UFO phenomena than people would even imagine. But he was fooled and somebody with enough sophistication fooled him. Uh, who? who, Why? I, I don't know. Uh, other than it, it could have been a prank. <laughs> you know, it could have been some of the CIA colleagues are like, ah, let's get Kit, you know, Back in my police days, we did all sorts of mean things to each other. So maybe that's true. <laughs> um, or I don't know. But he was definitely told that. And so what we see with these these memo releases that I find interesting is that the ones that have been dismissed here are telling us that somebody, uh, someone, or some organization was 
providing disinformation to the NIDS bass crew. And, and Kit Green was a member of the NIDS board back then. And so, therefore, I, I have this nagging concern that lingers with me with this Wilson documents is that Eric Davis isn't lying. Eric Davis is I, I don't believe he is. Just I have no problem saying on the record. There's nothing that tells me that Eric Davis is, is a liar and that he's making this up, uh, that he did meet with somebody. Admittedly, he didn't know. He'd never met Thomas Wilson before that day of these notes. I have this concern that still lingers that makes me wonder, could he have been set up? Um, we, we can tell with Kit Green. Mm-hmm. Somebody mm-hmm. set him up. Um, I'm not saying that that's the solution, but, uh, but I, for me, why that becomes more interesting is now you, um, it brings this other weird element to the UFO topic where it really is a wilderness of mirrors, Ryan. I know I'm not telling you anything, you know, you know, the cast of characters out there are very interesting. Uh, you don't have to have government state actors who are involved in disinformation. You can have just, you know, sophisticated hoaxers. You have different people who have agendas. So I, I wouldn't even gather to speculate who or why would try to deceive Eric Davis, possibly, or, or deceive Kit Green. Uh, I'm not suggesting that was a government <laughs> conspiracy. You know, the, the NSA or whoever was like, let's set these guys up. But I, I'm not fully on board yet that uh, that for certain Tom, Admiral Thomas J. Wilson met with Eric Davis and said everything that's in those notes while mm-hmm. equally not saying that Eric Davis is being dishonest by what he believes occurred. I don't know yet. It's uh, it's interesting. But but yeah, I mean, I think that lingering ultimately that lingering overhead of the idea that uh, at the end of the day, it all roads lead to was a contractor telling the truth. And I, all all precedent, all evidence would suggest, no, they were not. And so I, I don't think these are the linchpin that are going to give us the, the, the Roswell bodies. I know a lot of people think they will. So yeah. who knows? Who knows, man? And I mean, I think you bring up a good point of the people who bring these things forward, not not the ones who gave them the information, but the actual whatever you want to call them, whistleblower or individual who says they heard this, uh, I would have to agree in many of these cases. I also believe that they are telling the truth as they see it and as they experienced it. And I think that really goes for the next individual who you've written about in the past. Uh, I have made this very clear on my show in public that I do believe... Bob Lazar, yep, his name's coming up again. For anyone out there who hates it, I'm I'm sorry, but we have to touch on this. I have always been under the impression that he is telling the truth as he experienced it, what he saw, what he worked on, what that was, and the people who hired him or had anything to do with it, what information they're feeding him. That's a whole other story. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on this, Tim. He's back in the news, you know, he was on Rogan not too long ago, and I know you've spoken about Bob in your past articles, so what do you make of the entire Bob Lazar affair? Do you think anything happening right now in the UFO world vindicates, as some have said, uh, Bob Lazar's claims? What do you, what do you make of all this? Good old Bob. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've actually, I've spoken with Bob. Um, no, the, for an article I put out in Vice in November that had to do with the quote-unquote FBI raid that was in uh, Jer- the recent documentary, Jeremy Corbell's film. Yeah, you know, 
uh, I was on the fence with Bob for a long time, and I really uh, went into it examining very objectively, open-minded, open to any outcome. I will tell you that based on the overwhelming totality of evidence that, that I've uncovered or has been uncovered by plenty of great researchers, a lot better than me, but, but that I'm aware of, that that's, can be substantiated and backed up, uh, I would say in, in the dearth of known information and evidence, that the, the balance of probabilities that uh, what he – what he has said is being true, and even and I respect what you just said that that he's telling the truth as he was saw it and what he was exposed to. But I I don't think that you know for me I don't think that's accurate um, at least from what the evidence shows. I think that there's not a, there's not even enough evidence that he was ever in the position to see anything mm-hmm. like what he's describing. Uh, I, I don't know that there's and i understand that recently you've had you know uh, a former sr-71 pilot or something who went on uh where the venue where all truths are told uh, ancient aliens to say that he <laughs> was that, that a friend told him that he saw but you know we're going to this third hand thing um that lazar was ever at area 51 i, I think that um lazar if he he's not telling the truth he's very good at it and he presents himself in a way. Now, I won't go down that route. I was going to put on my 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 behavioral profiling hat like Ooh. I used to do in police, but I don't think that that's I don't think that's fair. Uh, I'll just say that he's good at it. And I mean, when I I'll, I'd be happy to say when I interviewed him, you know, I had uh, gotten the entire case file for the search of his business that was shown in the film from the uh, Michigan State Police and also a local police department there. I had spoken with the, some of the law enforcement officials who were there. Um, and, you know, so the, obviously there was just this wealth of evidence that it wasn't what is it was portrayed in the movie <laughs> and this Element 115 deal. And, in fact, the FBI, um, you know, when they were called in, all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, when I pushed him on those details when we spoke, um, you know, he brought in new details to explain away my concerns. You know, I think a good example is that event. And I, that, uh, recency bias causes us to see whatever information's in front of us and believe that that's the most accurate or forget about those other details. But, you know, there's a lot of things there. You know, when that raid occurred, the, the day after that raid occurred, Bob Lazar went on Reddit via his, uh, employee that worked there at United Nuclear. And said, hey, guys, he described the raid exactly to a T as the police reports did, <laughs> exactly what it was about and everything. It didn't become an area of an element 115 raid until the movie came out. And, um, you know, I brought that up <laughs> with Bob, like, what, what the hell, dude? You know, um, and that's when that, you know, supposedly he was cornered upstairs by some FBI agents who mentioned element 115. And it becomes this thing like, well, why? Why are more details always added? Why aren't we saying all this up front? <laughs> like, why is this? Why is this not a clear and concise story? But I think I'll just say that my ultimate, the final opinion on Lazar is that uh, at the end of the day, I don't want to express any more brain energy on that story because he told me. Well, he did not confirm for it, but uh, he, definitely enough people around him seem to confirm it that he supposedly has a a secret piece of element 115, this alien fuel that powers the saucers. Um, 
we won't even get on to how the hell do you sneak that off of a place that <laughs> is one of the most secure places in the world. Neither here nor there. Uh, supposedly he has it. And my thing is that that right there is what vindicates Bob Lazar's story. You know, short of them admitting, yeah, yeah, we got nine eight saucers, S4, he's right. That could easily vindicate his story. That could easily, you know, if, if he had that presented, I'm certain we could find somebody with uh, the t- right kind of background that would be interested in this. This, And that would, you know, not only would could Bob Lazar, if he wanted to, and that was true, vindicate himself, but, but Ryan, he could actually, like, screw the government. We don't have to worry about them. He could prove that extraterrestrials, that all of this is true, single-handedly. And um, he chooses not to. I ask him, you know, would, would he be willing to come out with this Element 115 and, and prove it? And he, he, his efforts were absolutely not. But maybe if he got adequate funding in a big lab, so if you paid him and, and got him in a big lab, then maybe he would come out with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, which important to note there, at, at one point in time, a lot of people don't realize, but in the early 90s, he had that. Bob Bigelow funded him. <laughs> so he had that big money in lab. And uh, he actually lost all that because I think, um, according to Jacques Vallée, Bob came in, Bob Bigelow, that is, came in and discovered that, you know, either whatever Element 115 or some other type of product he was saying was alien it was actually some industrial something that was in a bottle <laughs> in the lab. So mm. I think, yeah, I, I just that's where I stand now. Ryan, is that, uh, yeah, I mean, if what he's saying is true, then besides the stories that are clearly unprovable, he, supposedly he has physical proof. I mean, it, it, why people aren't going, why, demanding Bob Lazar give disclosure, I'll never know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and you got to wonder too, Tim, like we know he wrote his Somebody, sorry, somebody wrote mm-hmm. his autobiography. I won't go there. Um, people know my thoughts on mm-hmm. Bob Lazar's book at this point. But um, the fact that he is in connection with Tom DeLonge, clearly they published his autobiography. Uh, you gotta wonder, you know, how far does that relationship go? Could Bob Lazar get the funding he needs through to the stars or, or as we're learning to the stars working with the army now? And the other big thing is if he is in possession of this element that supposedly fuels these craft, uh, that he witnessed, is it hidden somewhere? And is that an insurance? You know, when he first came forward, he said, this is why I came forward. It was an insurance on my life. You know, now people know and they won't take me out. You know, in the shadows, you know, are we going to see this element come forward when, you know, ultimately, as we all do, leave this mortal coil when Bob Lazar does that? Are we going to finally get the map to where he hit it or or what? But you make a good point. If it if he had this and as he always claims, the technology I reverse engineered could change the world for the better forever. Why is he keeping it hidden somewhere when he himself could change the world with this? I, I have to wonder, too. And I, and I know anybody who listens to this who, who, who definitely is, you know, firmly believes Lazar. That's fine. I, I get that. I, I'm not trying to change minds here. But, um, yeah, no, I know one of those arguments is, well, no, he can't come forward with it. You know, the government would off him or that he'd go to jail and everything. And and everything that you just said, <laughs> what he said, is, is this could change the world for the better, that this would prove alien life. Well, I, thank God 
that, that history had people like Harriet Tubman or Martin Luther King or Nathan Hale who were willing to risk things for the betterment of humanity or mankind. If I had it, uh, I would I would share it with the world, regardless of the risk. Warning, if you like your UFO literature to confirm what you already know, this is not the book for you. From White Crow Books comes a brand new collection of essays, 14 authors, one goal, to shatter the UFO topic and pick up the pieces in a whole new light. Compiled and edited by Robbie Graham, with a foreword by Professor Diana walsh Pasolka. UFOs Reframing the Debate is a cold, hard slap in the face for ufology. Delivered with love. UFOs Reframing the Debate. Available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, the Book Depository, and the iBook Store. For a complete list of contributors and to learn more, visit RobbieGram.uk. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, okay. Well, we've we've pretty much tackled everything we possibly could, Tim. But I do have some listener questions if you're willing to stick around Ooh. for those. Yeah, absolutely, man. Awesome. All right. Well, the first one here comes from Mountains of Madness on Twitter. Love that name. Uh, what do you think about Richard Dolan's concept of a breakaway civilization. This is a really interesting thing, you know, that Dolan pretty much came up with, I think, you know, maybe decades ago. But do, do you know anything about what this term is, Tim, and uh, make anything of it? Just generally, I, I haven't heard R Richard Dolan's version of it, but but I would say that variations of it I've heard from various people. In fact, a good buddy of mine who I've written for the War Zone, Tyler Rogueway, who's the mm -hmm. uh, editor over there i mean he he i will say i think he'd be okay with me saying that he kind of espouses a maybe a similar breakaway civilization idea for what the tic tac and stuff are but rather puts that breakaway in kind of the military industrial complex um <clears throat> so i'm not sure if, if dolan's is like a true i know there's a true breakaway civilization um 
And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that um, it's an interesting story, but there's a lot of interesting stories in this field. And, (laughs) you know, I hear a lot of interesting stories and I say that's an interesting story. And I usually just stick with them there. But in terms of what I think is provable and there's evidence to support, it falls into that where I, I haven't seen any evidence to support that. Or, and uh, it raises a lot of interesting questions like what the hell? Is, you know, we don't have any clue. We can't honestly comprehend how alien psychology or what the thought processes of real true aliens would be because it's alien. I mean, yeah. we don't know. We can interpret human behavior. And so I, I don't know what you know, I can't think of a human parallel comparison to where you would develop something that um, is so far advanced. And that that's kind of the lost point in all of it when we consider it being classified black technology is that, um, you know, the <laughs> if we take for face value that some some of the videos, some of the photographs or, you know, the the testimony about highly skilled aviators like Commander Fravor uh, and the pilots who witnessed the Tic Tac and what they saw, you know, we're talking about objects that are capable of achieving flight by means that we have no clue how to do. Um, you know, whether it's the, the B-2 stealth bomber or the Wright brothers plane, flight is achieved by the exact same principles. There's been no dramatic change there. Uh, you know, it's same principles of, of lift, angle of attack with the control surfaces and wings. Um, that's how we achieve flight, whether it's helicopters, planes, whatever. The only other option is firing a rocket, you know, as fast as we can in the air. But um, that's the only ways we know how to achieve flight. And so when you're talking about these objects that lack control surfaces, uh, you know, just kick out all the instantaneous acceleration and, and all of you know, the ability to stop on a dime and acute angled turns. That's just a massive list of aerospace abilities that we don't even know how to do one. So somebody that somebody could have developed that completely in secret and then break away, um, either A, hide it within government or B, hide it. I don't know where the hell are they hiding? Antarctica? I don't know. But when you work intelligence, uh, you know, criminal intelligence and any intelligence, investigative intelligence, you know, the first questions that you want to answer are motivation and intent. Once well, you know motivation and intent, everything else kind of falls into play. And so um, I don't I mean, I don't know. And I, I be, would be willing to listen to Richard Dole or anybody else try to help explain what they think the motivation and intent for a breakaway society. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good way of putting it. And, you know, it, it comes down to the highest bidder, Tim, whoever gets that technology. Yeah. So. And there's a yeah, motivation and right they're there. Not bidding it. Yeah, yeah. There's the motivation <laughs> not, right bidding. there. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Really good point. They're not bidding it. Um, that's a really good point. Um, all right. Well, Sarah M on Twitter asks, "How has your knowledge of the UFO phenomenon changed your outlook on life? Uh, how have your paradigms changed?" This is what my book is about how these events affect you afterward, before, during. Yeah, Tim, um, yeah. How did your UFO event change you, if it did in any way? You know, I, I wish that I could say, you know, one of the things, and we talked about that first seven years before I started writing articles, when I was looking at this from a, from a you know, kind of a cognitive investigative approach, 
is one of the things that I probably the only thing that I was able to really gather that conclusively was identify uh, a behavioral profile of people who had actually experienced real uh, anomalous events. So real sightings of UFOs um, and because of, it was very consistent. And, and, and like I said, I was a behavioral profiler. So it was kind of what you do. And, and so um, I wish that I had had events like them because that profile was very interesting because it was always consistent in that um, describing and discussing the events were a little uncomfortable. Uh, I use this term because it's really the only one that I have to associate the behavioral demeanor, but it sounds bad. Uh, and that is even in retelling the story is shame. It's like they're ashamed in a way that this they have seen this and this has occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, they will often while telling it is very interesting because they, they mitigate kind of the surreal nature of it in their mind um, to themselves. So not to you that they're telling it to, but you'll, you'll nine out of ten times as they're telling the story, they will try to explain possibly a prosaic explanation that doesn't fit. Um you know, like they'll say, well, you know, there was an airport nearby, so it could have been a plane. But, you know, never mind that that wouldn't fit because it shot off at, you know, 50,000 miles per hour. <laughs> um, so they they go this weird kind of ebb and flow with trying to explain it to themselves. But they all have this consistent behavioral profile that to me appears that whatever that they saw, there's no doubt in my mind that, that it was so consistent that it challenged their definition of reality. It was it's it was tough for them. Like it's it's just weird because mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be real, and, and it challenged it. I didn't. My experience wasn't like that, and that's what I said. I, I didn't. Nothing that I saw performance wise, like you know, what I saw didn't just like dart off in an instant and me go, holy shit, that's not supposed to be real. I didn't see anything up close, that type of thing, and so it didn't have this dramatic effect on me that I think uh, has for. A lot of other people that truly have, I mean, that, that's, that's probably some of the most conclusive evidence I've ever seen. That they've encountered something, at least that they perceive, is not in their reality. And so, I, yeah, my experience didn't change me in that regard. Probably the biggest change was just uh, created this new mystery that I wanted to solve. The idea that uh, UFOs could represent um Aliens, interdimensionals, you know, space poltergeist or black technology has always been on the table. I'm okay with any of those. It's, but it's the mystery and intrigue of it. And so uh, I would say that if anything, big changes, it gave me a really, a really great topic to explore. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't, if you like mysteries, it's fantastic. Because <laughs> it's full of twists and turns. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, no end in sight either. No, so yeah, no. I, that's. I wish I could say that it changed me dramatically, but um, not, you know, not in the way that I saw with real uh, experiencers. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. Now I'm not talking about uh, abduction experiencers, but just experiencers yeah. of anomalous events. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's a great answer, Tim, and I think you're right. The journey is always far more rewarding than the the destination with many things in life. But uh, I I do agree. And if anything, you just coined a new term that I'm probably going to steal, and that's space poltergeist. Wow, that's a band name right there. That, well, (laughs) yeah, and I can't take credit for that. That's uh, 
Jason Calavito, who, who fair enough, very critical. Yeah, yes, he he like I, I I don't even know if it's true. He always brings it up, saying that uh, actually Hal Putoff should be the person attributed that. I don't even know. I, I've <laughs> I've spoken to Hal. He's never said space poltergeist, but according to Jason Calavito, he believes in space poltergeist. So interesting. But yeah, it's a fun one, huh? Yeah, I love it, man. <laughs> yeah. Again, this topic can be fun if people let it be. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, here's a fun one for you. And uh, politics aside, Tim Peter on Facebook asks. Do you think Trump may play this card of if he knows anything about all of this? You think he might play this card in the election or if he loses the the nomination this time around, will he tweet about it at like 3 a.m. as a mic drop? I know this is getting into really hypothetical, uh, murky territory, yeah. sensitive territory. But yeah, what do you think? Trump going to do anything, man? <sighs> I, I, no. I don't think he is one way or another. Not, 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 I mean, that's just straight from the hip. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got nothing to give you, uh, a reason why every interview that he's ever, it's ever been brought up with him and everything. I, he, he, that doesn't seem to be an issue or domain that I think he's spent a considerable amount of time of, even though, uh, he may have been briefed. He may have received briefings. He, you know, obviously this task force falls under the executive branch and therefore falls under his control. I just don't think uh, he's had the same amount of interest. I don't think that President Trump, I don't think he sees it as this uh, potential election saver or even like big F you if he lost the election. I don't think he he, 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 he views the topic that way. You know, he said that's just totally from the hip. I, I don't. I don't see it happening, but who knows? Hey, man, you know, I, listen, I, <laughs> it's 2020, right? Yeah, man. Hashtag UFO Twitter. He may hit it up. Who yeah, knows? <laughs> who knows? We might see him on there um, sometime. Yeah. But uh, okay, here's our our last listener question, Ray and UFO Nut on Twitter. They both ask a similar question here: Have you or anyone you know ever tried to reach? Neil McCasland for comments. This is the guy who supposedly gave his information to Tom DeLong. He was kind of the the one who connected DeLong to all these powerful intelligence people and in everything. I mean, and told DeLong some pretty profound stuff, you know, something crashing 47, this, that, this, that. Yeah. And has anyone ever tried to reach this guy? Because he seems to be the one who started this all. Yeah. No, no. I, and yes. Uh, and I have. I have. Indeed. Who reached out to General McCaslin because he, he's retired now. And you're right. He, he uh, is mentioned in the WikiLeaks. And he I'm not certain that Tom DeLong has ever maybe he has been identified as the general that, you know, the infamous. Uh, I don't know if the person, you Supposedly, know, supposedly. Yeah. We, we found a life for him. But, uh, yeah, no, I have reached out to him and, and he he didn't answer for me. You know, I mean, it's not a subject that he cares to discuss. And, you know, even off the record. So he didn't he didn't even tell me, yeah, no, here's the real truth. But this is off the record. It was not something he cares to discuss. Mm -hmm. I think um, the UFO field in general has has uh, it often makes assumptions based on what people say. I have I have joked with Lou Elizondo that, you know, every word that he says, people think is a hint for disclosure. And so (laughs) I said, you know, he he sells obscure books by mere mention. and, uh, you know, I think we, we have a, often have a, have a bad habit of reading too much into things. And so I, I, I don't his unwillingness to want to discuss it, I, it doesn't sway me either way as to whether 
he did meet with DeLong and tell him all these things or and he just doesn't you know, it's classified. You don't want to talk about it because, uh, you know, Tom DeLong does not have a security clearance. So we're on the same page um, <laughs> you know, at the same time. It doesn't mean he didn't. Uh, I think that kind of one of these things that uh, if you take yourself out of the UFO community and, and the, you're not an enthusiast of the subject, you realize the UFO community makes it a, in a bad they, they have a bad habit of making it a lose lose situation because, you know, if he came out and said, no, no, that's not, you know, that's not what really happened. Uh, you know, at least not from my end, you know, maybe Mr. DeLong misinterpreted it. You know, I thought he was talking about a fictional book or movie and I was giving him ideas. I thought I was being a, a consultant or a subject matter expert, uh, you know, helping out a friend or something. I, that was not real life. If he says that, everybody's going to come out and go, he's lying. It's the cover up. Um, if he came out and said, oh, yeah, hell yeah, it's true. Yep. True. True. Half of them are going to go, it's the cover up <laughs> you know, somehow. Good or, point. you know, the other half are going to, I don't know, storm right Patterson. Who knows? <laughs> so um, there's no advantage for him discussing it one way or another. So yeah. I don't know. But I have tried. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people. And and people are like, we got to put pressure on McCaslin. I'm like, look, I'm not I mean, I'm not going to break into this retired general's home and harass him. Like, right. <laughs> just, you know, well, that's an, that's another thing, too, Tim. I mean, there have been some irresponsible journalists in the past who have outed people, uh, one of which was the female pilot during the Nimitz event uh, who never wanted their name out there. And a quote unquote journalist put her name out there. And that's just, you know. One of the most irresponsible things you can do. And I mean, if that person worked for a mainstream outlet, they would have been fired immediately. But, um, yeah, I think it's hard because a lot of these things are unsubstantiated and made by anonymous people. And where do you go from there? But it's, it is tough because you can understand on one side of it, these people don't want to be connected to this, but they do want to get the information out. And some of them just, they don't want their names or faces out there and you have to respect that right. yeah it's tough because right. when it is anonymous that's when the ufo community mm -hmm. starts going crazy and making shit up yeah or they can't and i'll tell you that the pilot that you're referring to I've, I've spoken to her several times and i consider her to be the most compelling eyewitness to that event of all the pilots i spoke to and yeah it's very unfortunate because you know in her case yeah, no, I was very close to, I mean, she was willing to go on the record with me and name and everything because, and hopefully when she retires one day, she will. But, um, you know, the she, she's still in the Navy. And so she can't, I mean, she has to get approval uh, for the Navy to, to come out and say this. And, and they didn't want to give approval to that. And so, yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Because there are other, there's times that I have used sources that are anonymous, you know, even in those instances, because I know I understand why people would question that. And I completely agree. It should be questioned. You know, those are one of the reasons that I try to write for major publications, because, you know, in the editing and review and fact finding and legal process, you know, even though they're anonymous in the article to the average reader, they're verified to the editor because it's their publication's name going behind it. So they know who they are. But once that occurs, you know, if you if we agree, if I say, yeah, no, I'm willing to, um, you know, I won't name who you are. Yeah, no, I'm Supreme Court case law. I'm, I'm legally bound to do that. And so I think in this case that you're talking about, this was a leak of some information and how her name was put out there. So this 
this particular person didn't have any agreement with them. But yeah, I mean, you, as a journalist, you're you're actually legally obligated to protect somebody's identity if you promise to. But I think that's why it's important that if you're going to do that, you, you you have to couple that with physical evidence, whether it's documents you know, or other people on the record that you can't. Uh, I would never try to make anybody believe something based solely on an unnamed person because it's just too hard. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. Well, some of these people, Tim, uh, in the military who have been witness to a lot of these events we saw recently on an episode of Unidentified on the History Channel, mm -hmm. and a couple of them were anonymous. Most of them came forward, but uh, someone else was featured in that episode, and I have to ask you, man. Unidentified. You were on the most recent episode as of when this episode's airing of the podcast. So yeah, how was that whole experience working with To the Stars and uh, the History Channel? And what'd you take away from that whole experience? Yeah, no, no, that was, uh, and um, I believe I will be, yeah, whenever this is airing. So actually, probably the next episode, whenever this airs. So if mm -hmm. you hear this next week. So yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm supposed to be in that one a lot more. Uh, oh, okay. Should, so you're should, not a one-trick pony. No, and it should get everybody really excited because cool. I think I play the part of the skeptic. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I'll say, man, it was a great experience and for a lot of reasons. It, and it gives you an, an idea. And, and I know you, you've been on television shows and you, you've been in productions. And so you realize behind the scenes you get a better understanding is that uh, a lot of the assumptions people make are, are just incorrect. You know, this idea that this is a – I'll say – up front, this is a quote to the Stars Academy production. That's incorrect. I mean, this is um, you know, this is a uh, this is an A and E History Channel production. You know, production control is by the showrunner and everything. Obviously, you have Christopher Mellon, you have Lou Elizondo, and that you have Tom DeLong. So you have the the two to Stars Academy cast. But the idea that this is a to the Stars Academy program, I mean, it is is not correct. Mm -hmm. um, and so because I get that a lot, you know, I knew that was coming. You know, you're a TTCSA shill. Well, no, if I'm anything, I'm an A&E shill, um, <laughs> but, but not DTSA. But one of the things that I was very, very impressed with is uh, I was very, very impressed with Anthony Lapp, the showrunner. So the guy who's running the whole shebang. Um, he was our guest last he, week, actually, Tim. Oh, was he? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Man, that's, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I had a blast. You know, we filmed in London. And so I spent three days in London hanging out. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's, you know, you've been on TV. We film for eight hours and, you know, I'll probably get a collective of five minutes. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. Right. But it was a great conversation. And then after that, getting to hang out, me and Anthony hung out a lot, you know, went out to dinner those nights, hung out, chatted a lot. And I'll, I'll just say that, uh, He's a really solid guy, and he is uh, – if you look into Anthony's background, I mean, it, it's, he's legitimate investigative documentaries and everything. This is not – and he, by no means would I classify Anthony as a UFO nut or believer. And, you know, that was one of the things I was really impressed with. He's very skeptical of all of this. You know, even being around these people, he doesn't disbelieve them. He, he, he's skeptical of it, which is good because if, I think if, if you're going to do a show, if you're going to do anything – um, that's the type of people you, you would want those open-minded skeptics who are going to take it seriously. And so for me, I, I was very impressed. I thought that, uh, the way that they went about things, you know, the entire time during post-production, you know, I was in contact, uh, Anthony or his associate producers would frequently reach out to me just asking fact-checking stuff. They put a lot of effort in 
to try to make sure that they got things accurate. And so, you know, it, it's always going to be TV. It's always going to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just the way it is. But uh, I, I was very, very impressed with that. I, it's a lot of fun. And um, believe it or not, you know, I, I haven't even watched any of the episodes this season, but it has nothing to do with <laughs> Not thinking the show is great and everything. It's because I have to, because I'm out of Germany. I have to hook up the VPN. They haven't, you know, it's not in Europe market yet. Right. So I have to hook up the VPN and, you know, yeah. or steal it offline. Um, <laughs> but yeah, wish them much success because I think that um, I'll be interested. I, I, I definitely, I, I take it back. I have seen the first two episodes. Uh, I saw them through the screeners. But, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I, I think it would in, impress a lot of people to realize that nobody's when I filmed with them, we sat down and chat, chatted just like we are now, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody told me what to say. Nobody led me down any mess. I mean, in that regard, it's as, it's as legitimate as can be for a TV production. It's saying a lot. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm glad to hear that because there are things I've been involved with. I won't name them. But uh, when you do these things, you have to bite and scratch and just, you know, do everything you can to to get the right words in there. I mean, editors can mm-hmm. change something you say entirely with, you know, the cut of a word here or there. So, um, it's tough. It's mm-hmm. a tough, f- uh, industry. And, um, if they have a preconceived, uh, narrative or, or idea of what they want, they will find a way to do it. So, you know, it's good to hear that they kind of just let you do your thing. And that's why you were there to give the facts mm-hmm. and to give your opinions as an educated person on this topic. So it's, it's very refreshing to hear that they are continuing that, uh, even up until hopefully the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, Tim, I guess to sort of wrap things up, I've got one final closing question for you. And, um, we have a lot of younger listeners, mm-hmm. uh, of this show, people just starting to get their feet wet in this topic. They reach out to me constantly, like, Asking where to turn, what to do, um, like how do I get involved with UFOs and studying and researching it. So what advice would you give to these people who are just starting to get into this topic with so much baggage, so many uh, different belief systems and disinformation? Oh, God, the list goes on and on. Where should they turn for credible information when it comes to UFOs? Isn't that cool? I just got my first email like that. Uh, yeah, it never about, gets about a month ago. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was from a, a fifth grader who was doing a report, and, and they asked me. I, I thought it was cool. Um, awesome. I actually, got them some quotes from uh, Lou Elizondo and some people to, for their for their report. And I said, you know what? Hang on, man. So, oh man. Uh, well, I, what I, I would yeah. give to have been that fifth grader's friend back <laughs> in the day. Yeah, that was cool. Well, you know, yeah, that was it, it was a cool opportunity like that, and. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you Lou Elizondo's answer to this young man because it, it was mine, identical. And that was, I think, the first and foremost thing I would encourage anybody, especially a young person who was interested in investigating or researching the topic, would be to, before you start investigating researching UFOs, get some books and literature on investigation, period. So, you know, how to process, synthesize and gather information and make determinations for yourself, because the basis, you know, he said, I apply the same rules that I used investigating homicides that I do to UFOs, the same principles. So they're universal and that will help you 
And when you start going through the UFO literature and all these different things kind of cut through what is good, uh, what is evidence, what follows the rules of evidence and, and follow those paths. For my part, what's helped me and kind of what I do, uh, you know, it's not come from reading UFO books except for the latest book that was released uh, just recently by Ryan Sprague. I better go check it out. Just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I realize as I'm leading into this, not, yeah, not encouraging yeah. UFO books. I'm like, wait a second, Ryan, just kidding, because um, they're great. But getting some basis before there, probably one of the best, some of the best books I've read to help me navigate the government's current UFO involvement comes from books on bureaucracy and policy that have nothing to do with UFOs, but understanding the frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you have, you have to understand what you're working with. If you're talking about government, you know, cover up programs, conspiracy, well, understand government, understand how policy works. Mm -hmm. And you realize that's how you, can attack it. That's how I can. That's how I've been successful in getting a hold of people, whether they're in government or just got out, is understanding their mind and understand the world that they work in. And so, yeah, I mean, having if you if you want to really make an impact in the field, I think get some get get some get some literature and some some learning behind you in investigations and in the fields that you're going to be looking into. So both the sciences and everything, and then after that, it's hard. I think that. People will kind of figure out for themselves what are the good books, the good videos, the good shows that can give you good information and what won't because you'll know what is good information. And, and so I don't have like a one book or one show or one whatever, but that would be my biggest advice to people is um, do that and then don't be afraid to look at some of the historical literature that's out there. You know, look at, uh, you know, the stuff that's been going back to the 60s and 70s and you, you start to see the patterns. Don't think that this is something that just started today, because quite frankly, that is what makes it a compelling, interesting topic. It's not new, uh, though it may feel that way. And so, you know, my philosophy with all of it as well is don't set your goal at thinking you're going to solve what are UFOs. I think that will lead you down a path where you're going to A, get frustrated, or B, start to uh, be influenced or add in bad information just to make things fit because nobody likes mystery. You know, the unknown is very hard mm -hmm. on our psychology. And so um, don't set your goal that you're going to solve it. Enjoy the process of trying to solve it. And, um, you know, if we never figure out what UFOs are, but we figure out how to travel like them, that's pretty freaking cool. I mean, I think that, you know, if I had to say anything, I think that's what makes me if I had a want, I want to believe uh, mentality. It's I want to believe that there's something else that is traversing the cosmos and visiting us, because if something else can do it, then so can we. And I think that'd be pretty freaking cool. I'd like to do that. Who cares if you figure out where the aliens are? I'd rather be the aliens. Huh? So, you know, let's go visit. Let's go visit them. Um, so, yeah. No, I think, um, I, like I said, I wish I had a good, concise answer. Um, I, I guess I need to write a book, huh? Yeah. And that way I can say, Get well, on I can plug my own book. Yeah. <laughs> you need, what you need to buy is. <laughs> uh, no, Tim, I think that's a perfect 
way to sort of wrap this up is it is it's an aspiration like we mentioned earlier it's a want to believe that we are capable of the things that we are seeing and that defy everything we once thought we knew and that's exciting to think that you know as humans there will always be growth and potential for something better hopefully something better uh but no i i love it that's what history shows us you know don't be you know, as long as you stay in those good kind of, um, you know, grounded domains, um, don't ever be ashamed about looking at that. I mean, that's, you know, the paranormal is just stuff that's not normal now. <laughs> yep. 2000 years, you know, or 3000, 4000, 5000 years ago, uh, you know, some kind of deity carried the sun up every day and, and carried it down every night. Yeah, that's paranormal. So oftentimes we attribute paranormal aspects to what is inherently natural phenomena, but still awe-inspiring um, and lead to this whole existence. And so there's nothing wrong with you know, that. There's nothing wrong with looking at yeah. things like that. In fact, that's how innovation. That's how, like you just said, that's how humanity goes forward. Well, Tim, in terms of looking, gotta ask finally, where can we find everything you're up to? Is there anything you can share that you're working on? I know that's usually a tough question to answer when it comes to what you cover, but, uh, yeah, man, what, where can we find everything that you're up to? Yeah, uh, um, you will, I, you know, I, I'm on Twitter, much to my, you know, maybe I shouldn't be, but mm-hmm. I am. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at LT Tim McMillan. Uh, I have a website too. Um, uh, which is also LT Tim McMillan.com. Um, so any one of those places, you know, my, my emails available on any of those. I try very hard, um, to go out of my way to answer anybody's questions or anything that they have. I, I learn lots from people who reach out to me. Um, and new insights. So yeah, if anybody's got any questions or anything, feel free to reach out. I'll try. If I don't answer in a quick manner, it's it's not personal. I promise. You got three little kids who always <laughs> seem to be bugged. Yeah. Uh, not to mention, yeah, uh, you're 12 hours ahead of some of us, so that's hard too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep, we're we're uh, half a world away from each other right now. So you're right. Huh? I'm in Germany, so a lot of times messages come in different time zones. But uh, find me there, and and um. I have a lot of different things in the works. Um, I can't, I wish I could tell you exactly when stuff's coming out. I know people want that, but that's my biggest thing is just like I said, it's just like with that popular mechanics article. It, it, to me, it's not about putting out more. It's about putting out good. And so I try to just put out stuff that contributes to the body of knowledge on this topic and, and helps pe- other people jump forward or whatever. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully in the next, I mean, I, I usually kind of line it up in the same cycle. So if you paid attention to what I did last year where something came out in November, December, something big in January, you know, something else uh, right after that, or February, I should say, the Valentine's Day massacre um, <laughs> in January. So usually they're staggered like that. So the fall kind of December sweeps. Uh, hopefully we'll have some some more stuff coming out. But yeah, there, there's... I'm as eager as anybody else to get it out there. But for me, it's just making sure that, um, you know, even the hardened skeptic can come out and go, okay, well, this is, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I got this. Yeah, you're right. I can't dispute this. I can say it will not involve crash UFOs, at least not now. <laughs> I don't <laughs> don't have anything on that in the works, so please don't. <laughs> please nobody it. get excited. 
Yeah, you heard yeah. it here first, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, Don't have that, but if anybody's got conclusive evidence of that, by all means, though, I will gladly bring that forward. Yes. Don't have that. Or the map to the <laughs> Element 115. Element, yeah. Mr. Lazar, if you're listening, uh, yeah, if you want to just ship it to me, I'll, I will gladly share it with the world and take the consequences. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, Tim, dude, this has been absolutely fascinating. We covered so much, but, uh, you know, I just want to tell you, thank you for what you're doing for this topic. I think it's given it that extra level of legitimacy we've been waiting for for over 70 years. I, I look forward to seeing you on Unidentified and whatever comes next man so again thank you for joining me today on somewhere in the skies thanks for having me ryan i appreciate it man that's it for part two of our series of ufos in 2020 with tim mcmillan i hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as i did and i hope you'll consider rating and reviewing somewhere in the skies on apple podcasts spotify your android apps or wherever you get the show every rating and review helps us gain visibility and find new listeners so head over to apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever and rate and review right now thank you in advance you can follow the show on twitter at somewhere skies and instagram at somewhere skies pod check out the ryan spreck youtube channel for all of my videos, whether it's case files, past and present interviews, and all audio episodes as well. And please also be sure to check out the new website and contact me personally with your own UFO stories, all at somewhereintheskies.com. I'll see you here next week, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching Somewhere in the Skies. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.